The Old Testament passage can be found on page 186 in the Church Bibles. And it's chapter 20, beginning at verse 1. And it comes from a section that sets out rules for practical holiness. And this one is headed Punishments for Sin. Page 186, chapter 20. The Lord said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, Any Israelite or any alien living in Israel who gives any of his children to Molech must be put to death. And the people of the community are to stone him. I will set my face against that man and I will cut him off from his people. For by giving his children to Molech, he has defiled my sanctuary and profaned my holy name. If the people of the community close their eyes when that man gives one of his children to Molech and they fail to put him to death, I will set my face against that man and his family, and will cut off from their people both him and all who follow him in prostituting themselves to Molech. I will set my face against the person who turns to mediums and spiritists to prostitute himself by following them, and I will cut him off from his people. Consecrate yourselves and be holy, because I am the Lord your God. Keep my decrees and follow them. I am the Lord who makes you holy. This is the Old Testament word of the Lord. Now we turn to the New Testament, and it's page 1872. So almost the same thickness at the other end, if you want to follow it. Take page 1872, and it comes from Hebrews chapter 10, beginning at verse 1. And this comes from a section that sets out, that shows Christ's superior covenant and sacrifice. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. If it could, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshippers would have been cleansed once for all, and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins, because it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings, 
you were not pleased. Then I said, here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, O God. First he said, sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, although the law required them to be made. Then he said, here I am. I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Day by day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties Again and again he offers the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Since that time he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool because by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. This is the word of the Lord. Well, thank you very much, Andrew, for reading. And uh, uh, if you've got a Bible nearby, it'd be really helpful if you uh, could put a finger in both, both passages, 186 for the passage in Leviticus and 1872 for the passage in Hebrews. I plan to refer to both of those during the talk. But first, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you're the holy God who created all things, your power, your purity and your love underline your holiness. Help us to grasp your beauty, understand your word, and see how you're dealing with us right now. Be gentle with us, but also reveal yourself in new and fresh ways through your powerful word, we pray. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the title of uh, this evening's talk, as I mentioned already, is Yahweh who sanctifies you. And we're working through these different names of God. Uh, today, that topic is the Lord God Yahweh sanctifying us, making us holy. Sanctifying is just, just another way of saying making us holy, and that is set apart. Uh, but at first, I would like to think a little bit about this word, uh, holy. What comes to your mind? As I say the word holy, what do you think about when I say the word holy? Perhaps snow-covered scene, all in white, all serene and beautiful, a bit like this? Or maybe angelic beings and blossom and white blossom and things like that? Is that what goes through your mind when we're thinking about holy or perhaps something else? As I mentioned, holy, it just means set apart, completely separate. 
land, the Lord God, Yahweh, is holy. He is set apart from all sin and impurity. He stands outside of creation, outside of time. He is completely other. Scripture sets out in various places some of the reasons why God is holy. And the three major elements are God's power, his purity, and his love. God's power is demonstrated in creation, the sheer scale of it, the complexity of it, and his control over all aspects of it, as well as his sustaining hand on his creation. His power is also shown by his actions. For example, his action in bringing his people out of Egypt and rescuing them and destroying the Egyptian army back in history. God's purity is demonstrated by his moral righteousness and the justice of all his words and judgments. Habakkuk tells us that God is too pure to look upon evil. He cannot tolerate wrong. And God's love is shown through his word as he commands his people to look after the weak and the powerless, the poor and widows, orphans. His law is focused on justice for all and on respect and care for neighbors. Ultimately, of course, his love is shown through the death of Jesus for each one of us on the cross. But what about ourselves? How holy are you? What is your opinion of your own holiness? Maybe you think you've got just slightly dirty hands, a bit like these. Uh, perhaps your, some of your actions aren't completely holy, so you need to wash up a little bit and just slightly unholy. Or maybe it's your thoughts and your attitudes that need some work. Perhaps a bit like this fellow, it's your head. Uh, it needs some cleaning up. You think things, perhaps, which are, are impure or not worthy. Or maybe you might have a more realistic view of yourself and realize that compared to the absolute perfection of the, and purity of God, your own position maybe is a bit more like this, where it's a bit more graphic, a bit more serious. Food for thought. Well, let's take a look at both of our passages and then bring out some conclusions. Firstly, the Leviticus. It's worth giving a little bit of background on this book. Uh, it's quite tricky. It's not perhaps the highest on anyone's list of easy Bible reading. It's not the, the, the book that you turn to and say, oh, good, I'll just dig into Leviticus and get into all those laws and rules. Um, but it, it is an important passage. It comes immediately after Exodus. And Exodus ends with God, God's presence coming down and dwelling in the tabernacle. So his presence descends and he dwells in the tabernacle among his people. But there is a problem. And the problem is, how can a holy God live alongside and with a sinful people? Habakkuk, remember, told us that God cannot look, even look upon wrong. He cannot tolerate evil. And yet, this is precisely what the sinful Israelites are. So how then can a holy, perfect God and pure God take up residence with his sinful and errant people? Well, the answer is that God makes provision, and it's all set out in the book of Leviticus. He makes provision for his people to be made clean. In his grace, God provides sacrifice to atone for sin. And this allows for sin to be covered, to be dealt with, and the relationship between God and his people to be restored through sacrifice. So God commands Moses to institute the various sacrifices that are set out in Leviticus. 
and that involves many complex rules and regulations about how to avoid uncleanness and many steps which need to be taken for the people to become holy, both physically and also morally. All of those set out clearly in Leviticus. Let's zoom in on our passage in Leviticus 20, and that's on page 186. This, as Andrew mentioned, is a section dealing with moral purity. And the background to this is that the Canaanites, the people who lived in the Promised Land before the Israelites came, practiced child sacrifice. Yahweh, the Lord God, forbids the Israelites to do this, and he mentions two grounds on which this practice is detestable. They are defiling God's sanctuary and profaning his holy name. You'll see them in verse 4 there. Defiling God's sanctuary means taking something which is set apart for God and giving it to idols. In this case, God provides children, and by sacrificing them to Molech, the Israelites are taking someone, a person, that God has provided and giving them to an idol. Profaning God's holy name means to take God's name, which is holy, and use it in a way which is common and unworthy. That's a breach of God's holiness, and so it's unacceptable to him. The passage continues with instructions and set out in verses 7 and 8. The Israelites are instructed, consecrate yourselves and be holy, because I am the Lord your God. So it's important that the character of the Israelites, God's people, should reflect the character of God. Since God is holy, his people must also be holy. And next, the Israelites must keep God's decrees and follow them. Obedience is required. To be God's people, they need to follow his instructions and obey them carefully. And finally, this passage concludes with this amazing statement, I am the Lord who makes you holy. Let me repeat that. I am the Lord who makes you holy. That's truly staggering, isn't it? You and I might have been expecting a further instruction about what the people need to do to become holy. And here, God says, he is the one who makes the Israelites holy. It's not the rituals, the decrees, the obedience that makes the Israelites holy. It's God himself. He's the active party. Not the actions of the people, actions of God that make the Israelites holy. And so, of course, the logical question that's going through everybody's mind is, how does God do this? How does God actually achieve making his people, the Israelites, holy? Well, let's turn to our next passage in Hebrews 10, which gives us the answer to this question. The writer of the letter to the Hebrews sets out in detail how God makes his, perfect, uh, his people perfectly holy and worthy to be in relationship with him. So let's take a close look at it. I think it's really important for our understanding of ourselves and our relationship with God as we work through this. Firstly, the writer to the, of the letter to Hebrews states that the law is a shadow of the good things that are coming. That is, the law hints at the reality, but it's not and in, in, in the reality itself and the solution which we're seeking. It hints at it, it's a shadow, but not the reality. And the fact is that repeated sacrifices can never make us perfect. 
The very fact they have to keep on being repeated year after year means that they don't work. They maybe work for a short period, but they don't work permanently. No, the purpose of the repeated sacrifices is to remind people of their sins. And you can imagine it's a pretty graphic reminder. Uh, picture the scene at the temple, long queue of livestock and people, priests slaughtering animals, blood being collected, splashed on the altar. You would remember your sin if you were in that melee of people and bleating animals and things, since you had to go through a lot of effort to atone for your sin through the ritual of sacrifice. And now that the writer of the Hebrews comes to the crunch. In verse 5, we see that Jesus came into the world. He offered himself. And then there's a quote from Psalm 40. Here I am, I have come to do your will, my God. So what Jesus did was that he set aside animal sacrifices by offering himself. And the result of this is that Christians have been made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ himself, once and for all. Note also that it was God's will that Jesus made this sacrifice of himself. And the writer of the letter then notes that previous temple sacrifices were not effective and had to keep on being repeated. So animal sacrifices are not an effective way of taking away sin. Yet contrast what happened after Jesus made the sacrifice of himself once and for all on the cross. After Jesus won sacrifice of himself for sins, he sat down at God's right hand. Sitting down is a sign that the job is done, it's completed, the task is done, and his sacrifice once and for all has been perfectly effective. So this is how God always intended to make his people holy to make it possible for them to be in permanent relationship with him through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. But see how the, uh, the writer of the letter to the Hebrews puts it for us in verse 14. By Jesus' one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Perfect forever those who are being made holy. We'll come back to that phrase. Okay, time for a bit of so what. There's a lot to unpack, so let's, let's go through this. Firstly, we have been made perfect in Christ forever. This is our current status as those who have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ today. It's not something for the future. Scripture teaches us that it's reality our true and real status today is that we've been made perfect in Christ forever. And note that this is God's activity. It's not something that we complete through our own efforts. This is something which God, and only God, does through the salvation which comes by faith in Jesus Christ. And not only that, but even our faith in Jesus itself is a gift from God. No one can boast. We bring nothing to this new status which God has given us. All we can say is thank you. But note also that, that small phrase in, in, in back in Hebrews 10 there, that small phrase, those who are being made holy. And it's true that each of us is being made holy. We're not perfectly holy yet. We're all works in progress. We may have the status of being perfect in Christ forever now, but 
we're still being made holy today. So how is this happening? Well, firstly, God's Holy Spirit guides us. He lives in us and is constantly prompting and instructing us the way to go. When we're young in Christ, we may not hear his prompts or respond to them very well. When we're more mature, we should be listening hard and acting on the Holy Spirit's prompting. Secondly, God equips us with all truth. The fact is that the Bible has all we need to live in a way which glorifies God. The principles set out in it are to be lived by and obeyed. Again, the more mature we are in Christ, the easier this is to understand and to follow. And thirdly, we can make good decisions day by day about everything in line with our status as perfect in Christ. And this is because God has freed us from slavery to sin. We're no longer, we no longer have to wallow in sin to follow our old ways. We've got the freedom to make good decisions consistent with our status as perfect in Christ. And that's about everything as we go through our lives day by day. However, let's be a bit realistic about this. The reality is that it's a battle. It's a spiritual battle out there. We still experience Satan's temptations. Also, our old fleshy nature is still active, despite our new status as perfect in Christ. To some extent, we've two characters, our new nature, which knows the Lord and seeks to follow and obey him, and our old nature, which is selfish and seeks to gratify its own sinful desires. The Apostle Paul writes clearly about this in Romans 7, describing that battle between our new and our old natures. In this battle, it's important that our hearts, that is our inner desires and our minds, that is our wills, what we want to do, are reformed. We need to ask God to change us and shape us through the activity of his Holy Spirit in our lives so that we're conformed more and more to the likeness of Jesus Christ. All of these make it pretty tough going. It's a battle. It's a spiritual battle going on. Okay, we're nearly there. Let's spend a few minutes just looking at the now what. And this is where the rubber hits the road uh, for each one of us. And if you know the Lord Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, firstly, be encouraged. Do take time to reflect on and to rejoice in your status in Christ. It's a reality. We have a real status in Christ. You've been made perfect in him. Alleluia. But secondly, be challenged. We're all works in progress. We all experience conflict as we live in the fallen world. If anyone tells you all is well, they're not experiencing any difficulties or challenges, be very careful. My experience is that while the intensity of the issues and challenges that we face varies over time, there's always something to be worked on. There's always something that needs work that's not right, that's causing us problems, and where we need God's guiding hand. Finally, let's persevere and run the race. The thought of meeting our risen Lord and Savior on that last day and hearing from him those amazing, precious words, well done, good and faithful servant, that's something 
that should drive us to greater effort and more sacrifice today as we contemplate eternity in his presence. I'd also just like to touch briefly on uh, thinking through the impact of all of this on someone who does not know the Lord Jesus as their Savior and their Lord. That may be you here, or it may be somebody that you're speaking with, or someone that you know and you're talking to during the week. So let's think about that for a moment. I've got a few questions. Firstly, to that person, have you ever considered God's holiness? The creator of the universe, the galaxy, the planet, all things on earth is holy, and he stands outside of time. Have you ever thought about that? Have you thought about him? Secondly, have you ever wondered about your status in God's eyes, that holy God? What does he think of you? What is your status in his eyes? If you seek him, he will reveal himself to you. If you ignore him or presume upon him, he's not going to intrude, but he's going to let you go your own way. Each one of us reaps what we sow. And thirdly, have you ever compared your thoughts, words, and actions to the standards of the holy God? The Lord God of heaven and earth requires perfection. Nothing less will do. We all know it's unachievable. And so the only realistic conclusion is that no one by themselves makes the grade. Everyone needs help. And that help comes from the Lord Jesus Christ. He offers it freely and willingly. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. If you don't know him, can I urge you to get to know him as soon as you can? It's literally a matter of life and death. More food for thought. Shall we pray?